Well, God bless you and welcome to uh, our course on uh, Disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this is session four. The subject is works versus grace. Now, we've been looking at how we must interpret Scripture and difficult verses must be understood in light of clear verses, not the other way around. And in light of salvation, many verses are very clear on our eternal life and our salvation and a few that are not clear, and we've looked at some of those, and that if you look into the context most often it's very clear where the discrepancy or misunderstanding comes in. Now, I've been told at times that perhaps it's not possible to lose your salvation, but you could give it away. You could give it back. Say, God, I don't want to be saved anymore. I'm going to give it back. But that would also be impossible because if it's incorruptible seed, that means it can't corrupt. It can't be taken away. It can't corrupt. It can't be destroyed. I was thinking in light of this, if you could give it back, then Peter would have lost his salvation because it was Peter who went to Jesus and said in Luke chapter 5, verse 8, Depart from me because I'm a sinful man, O Lord. So Peter himself would be unsaved if it were possible to be unsaved because he said, Lord, get away from me. If we, if we were to pray that, Lord, leave me, we're saying, take the salvation from us because the salvation is in him. And that yet the Lord didn't leave him. Instead, he ministered to him and forgave him. He caused Peter to repent so he could have fellowship with him again. It was Jesus in John chapter 10, 27. He said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow after me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Jesus wouldn't lie. He said, they will never. He didn't say except for a few of them that turn away from me. He said, they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. If one could be snatched out of his hand, then this would be an inaccurate statement. He said in verse 29, no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. He's holding them, and no one can take them. The Lord holds them, and therefore, they're in the Father's hand. Nobody can take them. We have eternal life. Now, it's our choice of what we're going to do with it. We have the greatest blessing now in earthen vessels. It's not future for us. Our eternal life is a now thing, even though our bodies haven't been changed, and we still have this carnal mind that we're struggling with daily, but we have eternal life. There is a confidence that we can walk in that in the Old Testament not a single person had. That should put us in a position to do more, not to do less. We may not lose our eternal life, which is spirit, but we may lose our inheritance, which is secured through obedience in the soul category. What we do affects our eternal life in the sense of the inheritance that we have in that life. But what we do or don't do does not affect whether or not we live eternally. Romans chapter 7. I always enjoy looking at this section. Matter of fact, uh, often in talking with people about apostles and what apostles must have been like and how it must have been to be an apostle or to walk as an apostle or to be around an apostle. And we get the picture sometimes that, well, you know, before breakfast, they raised three people from the dead and walked on water to go to breakfast and then, uh, and then you know, fed 5,000 people before lunch and then went ahead and went up on the mountain and the angels came down and ministered to them before dinner. 
and then came down off the mountain and stayed up all night praying and uh, healed the people till daybreak when the sun would come up and then their shadow would heal people. But that didn't happen like that. Matter of fact, all those things happened around and through apostles, but not all in one day and certainly not uh, as that often or to that extent like we like I just drew the picture. But what did an apostle's day look like? I often like to say, and sometimes I, I like to take people to Romans chapter 7, and we're going to look at that not in light of, uh, just in light of apostolic uh, renewing of the mind, <laughs> but just in light of what we go through. Because what the apostle Paul was writing in chapter 7 that we're going to look at here was what a normal day was like for him. It was a struggle between the spirit and the soul, just like it is for you and I. So let's take a look in Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Don't you know, he writes, that the law has dominion over man as long as he lives. All right, whatever laws we enter into, whatever covenants we make, those covenants are lifelong covenants. And now he gives the example of marriage, which is given throughout Scripture in the New Testament, as well as the Old, to represent the relationship with God and his people. All right. In the New Testament, the description is the relationship of Jesus Christ with his body, which is as uh, the woman was taken out of the body of Adam. So the bride today is taken out of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so many of the analogies, as Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, I speak concerning Christ and the church when he's talking about the mystery of marriage. Well, here again, we're looking at marriage. And if they're married, and if one of them gets remarried while the other one's still living, then he's an adulterer. However, if, if the spouse dies, then that one spouse that's still alive can remarry without breaking the law because the covenant ends at death. And um, it says in verse 4, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Okay. We became dead to the law. When did we become dead to the law? When we died. Well, we're all still alive. When did we die? As far as covenant goes, as far as the law goes, as far as God's concerned, we died in Christ on the cross. When we confess Jesus as Lord, as far as God's concerned, that was the day we died. At that point, we legally were dead to sin. We no longer had to live under that old covenant. We were no longer married to sin, but now we're free from that covenant, and we have a choice now, which is to be joined to Christ. Now, that joining doesn't happen automatically. You can't force a covenant on someone. But we're in a position now where we can be joined if we choose to, and that's what God's after. Why? Because He wants fruit now, the fruit that's going to be born to God is going to be born through His Son, but it's still going to be in God's family. Now, here's a powerful truth. Salvation has always been by grace and through God's grace and acquired by the shedding of blood. It's secured or guaranteed at the time of the death of the individual recipient. That was the same in the Old Testament, and it's the same today. The only difference is, when is the time of death? Moses had a promise of eternal life, and he received it by grace, but he could not receive it as a guarantee until he died. 
He received it through grace as a promise by shedding of the blood of goats and sheep. And the day he died was the day he received eternal life. It's the same today. You must be saved by grace. I must be saved by grace. Blood must be shed. The difference is the shedding of the blood this time was the perfect blood. Only had to be shed once. Never has to be shed again. And we died in Christ. So we now have the eternal life while we're still in the bodies. We don't have to wait till these physical bodies are dead as Moses and Samson and David did. But the same rule holds true today and held true from the time Adam fell. There had to be bloodshed and there had to be grace in order to receive salvation. And salvation came at the death of the individual. Well, let's look in verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. Now remember, we have to discern between soul and spirit. Where does he not find it? In his soul, in his flesh, right? He does not find in his soul that which he wills to do, that which he wants to do. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it's no longer I who do it, but sin who dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Now that doesn't sound too hopeful, does it? And think of it, that's the Apostle Paul describing a regular day as an apostle. Makes me worry. <laughs> what hope is there for us? But we have to continue. Remember, we have to get the full context. We have to be able to discern soul and spirit. He's describing a struggle. We can relate to that struggle. If we've been Christians for any amount of time, we have experienced that. Whether or not we've been able to put it into words like he did, we have experienced that battle that goes on in our members. Because we have the treasure in earthen vessels. We have eternal life while we still have a corrupting body of flesh that the enemy feeds on that is corruptible. We have incorruptibility, incorruptibility. Now, we have to continue. In chapter 8, verse 1, you see, we have to understand in light of interpreting Scripture that chapters and verses were not put in by the Holy Spirit. Now, they may have been inspired later, but the point is, is that they were put in by men to help us, but they don't have any divine authority. They're just put there for reference to help us to find where we want to go, all right? But as far as 
understanding context, understanding scripture. We need to ignore those in order to continue the thought of the writer. Now, let's continue and see what it says in verse 1 of chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, what's in Christ Jesus? Is that salvation or is that the walk we're walking in, the fellowship that we walk in? Those that are in Christ Jesus is a, a choice that you make after salvation. It doesn't say no condemnation of those that have Christ in them. So here we're talking about a choice that's made in our walk. There's no condemnation when we choose, through this struggle that we're in, when we choose to walk in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So what's the key to being released from this struggle is to not sit there in the struggle, but to walk out of it, and we have to walk into the Spirit. We have to walk by the Spirit, according to the Spirit. And only the Spirit can take us out of that place. It's the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus that removes us from the law of sin and death. For what the former law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now what does it say? Do not walk. What category is that? Is that salvation or is that our soul? That's in the soul category. Our walking out our salvation. Taking action. Not just receiving it subjectively, but walking it out. Verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The mind is in the category of the soul not the Spirit. We have to take dominion over our thoughts. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind, aren't we? So when we renew our minds, we are putting our minds on spiritual things. Now, our minds are still soul, in the soul category. But we're taking the soul and submitting it to the Spirit. When we submit that soul mind of ours, that suke, to the Spirit, then God says, you are now spiritually minded, and you're going to have life, and you're going to have peace. Now, that's not talking about now you're going to get saved. What it's saying is you've got that life. Now you're submitting this soul life to that spiritual life, and you're going to have life in terms of your inheritance in your eternal life. And you're going to walk in peace now rather than the turmoil in the battle. That comes. Verse 9. For you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. What's that? That's salvation. The Spirit dwelling in you is salvation. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Sounds like 1 John. And if Christ is in you, salvation, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. We have a choice now. We have a live spirit in a dead body. As far as God's concerned, we died at the cross. 
But because He put a live spirit in us, we're still here. We're still breathing. So now we have to make a choice to submit this body, which is only alive because the Spirit of God still dwells in it once we're saved. We have to submit that to the Spirit. And that's a choice we make. In a sense, we're claiming this ground for Him. The way to empower the law of the Spirit of life is through grace. We got saved by grace but we also must walk in grace. And that's what will empower the law of the spirit of life, which is what rids us of the law of sin and death, which is what takes us out of the realm of the flesh and puts us into the realm of the spirit, even while we're still walking in this body. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Remember, 2 Timothy 3, 17, that the, that the word of God is given, that the man of God may be perfected, that he may be completed unto good works. Let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. Not laying again that foundation. That foundation has been laid in Christ. We have to go on to perfection. We've got to get past the point of the battle and get into the good works to allow the Spirit of God to manifest Himself through us even while we're here on this earth. Ephesians chapter 2, uh, 8 through 10 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now this is not Christ in but it's us being created in Him, right? So what is this talking about now? Not salvation, but workmanship being created in Him for good works. The purpose of being created in Him is for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Walking in them is not salvation. It's in the soul category. It's in the action category. We make a choice of walking in them that as we are sons of God. We do not walk according to the flesh, but we walk according to the Spirit. If we walk according to the Spirit, we're going to fulfill these things that God has prepared beforehand, and we will walk in them. And they're called good works. They're not called religious works, but they're called good works. And I define good works as those works which Jesus Christ does through us. In other words, they're the things that we allow the Spirit to do through us, not the things that our mind dreams up or that our flesh decides but the things that we submit our mind and our flesh to, to the Lord Jesus Christ, so He can manifest His will on earth through us. I like to call them, the term I give it, is works of grace. Because it's a paradox. Because grace is not works, and yet we, by doing the right works, put ourselves in a position to receive and manifest grace. Because that's good then. It's not by the hand of man, but it's by submitting the hand of man to the power of God. Then works of grace are done. Grace empowers us to do more than we could ever do by ourselves. That's good works. Now, there's works versus salvation. In other words, we saw right there, we're not saved by works, lest anyone should boast. But we're saved by grace, through faith. We acquire the grace by faith. And through that, we receive salvation. It's a gift. But there are works to be done. And this has been the paradox. 
so much and so often, understanding works versus grace and works versus salvation. Can you lose it if you don't do enough works? Can you attain it if you don't do enough works? Can we receive salvation if we don't do some good works? Faith without works is dead, we hear. But what category is that? Unto salvation or unto inheritance? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13 begins, Each one's work will become clear for the day, talking about the day of judgment, will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work, what sort it is. It doesn't say it's going to test your salvation to see if it's real. It doesn't say it's going to test your seed to see if it's corruptible. Well, maybe it will, but it doesn't say that. The point is, if it's incorruptible, it'll pass the test. But your work is what's going to be tested. It's your work that's going to be revealed by fire. If anyone's work, which he has built on it, endures, he will receive a reward. And I think that word for reward is an understatement. It's an inheritance. It's not just a little prize out of a crackerjack box. It's not even a present or a gift that could fit under a Christmas tree. It's an inheritance that brings you to a place of the firstborn to be joint heirs with Christ, to share fully in everything that's his as the firstborn who walked a perfect life and a sinless life. If the work endures, he'll receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through the fire. So as through the fire means he's going to suffer loss. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? In you is salvation. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Now when it says God will destroy him, what does that mean? Can that be talking about losing your eternal life? How could it be? Jesus said, no one will take them out of my hand. No one will take them out of the Father's hand. What is the immediate context? The temple, the body. God will destroy the body. In other words, it's going to affect your body your supernatural spiritual body. Your eternal life is still life. Your spirit, soul, and body. The process of the salvation of the soul is going to affect the body that we have in eternity. Now, I'm not going to go in any more into that because I don't want to get off of what it doesn't say. <laughs> I don't want to add to what it doesn't say. I know a few other things, but the point is, when he says, if you don't have things stored up, he'll destroy the temple, the body. He'll destroy it. If you defile it, he'll destroy that person, meaning that body. Okay? The eternal life is still eternal, or it never was eternal. Matthew chapter 13, verse 41 and 42. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire, and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now, many people think that's talking about the white throne judgment at the end of the age, at the end of all time, when people are just separated, sheep and goats, and, and they throw them in the lake of fire. Well, first off, let's get, what is he talking about? Right in the verse. What's the, what does it say in the verse? It says in 41, he will gather these out of his kingdom. There's another time when the angels gather them out of the kingdom of the world for judgment. 
This is not talking about the white throne judgment at the end of all time. This is talking about a different period of time when he gathers to judge those in his kingdom, those that are his children. And it says, will cast them into the furnace of fire. That's not the lake of fire. A furnace is used for cleansing. And there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now that is a Hebrew figure of speech. And it means to be under extreme distress and anguish. It's very descriptive. <laughs> Weeping and gnashing of teeth, wailing and gnashing of teeth. You can see it. You can hear it. It's not a pretty place. But it is a place of cleansing. It's a place of purifying. And it may hurt. <laughs> Probably does. That's why Paul says that we should judge ourselves now that we not be judged with the world later. It's preferable that we go through the fire now rather than later. However, he's going to take from those in his kingdom and they're going to go through the furnace. Now, verse 43. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. After you're purified, everybody's going to shine. All the gold's going to be polished and purified. Amen. Mark chapter 9, verse 49 says, For everyone will be seasoned with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Now, it says everyone. And everyone means everyone. That includes Christians. Everyone's going to be seasoned with fire at one point or another. Unbelievers have a time, but believers have a time before that where we go through the fire. A different fire, but nevertheless a fire. Jude chapter 1. Beginning in verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. We are being given an assignment to go out be built up in our faith, go out and help people, pull them out of the fire. What does that mean? Get them out of that place that they're heading for of judgment. Christians, people that have eternal life, bringing them to a place where they can be walking in grace so that they are storing up for themselves treasures in heaven. That should be our motivation. 2 Corinthians Chapter 6, verse 1 says, We then, as workers together, that's the word sonergos in Greek, translated fellow laborers in other places, we are workers together with Him. Also, plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. To receive the grace of God in vain would be receiving it and then not doing anything with it. It would be to take your talents, which you received by grace, and bury them. So we're pleading, don't receive the grace of God in vain, but be workers together with Him. Join up with Him. That's why we have works of grace, I call it. Because if you do it on your own, it can easily be a religious act. It can be a good thing done out of pride. There are many philanthropists in the world that spend billions of dollars doing good works that will never receive a reward because they're not doing it in Christ. But then there are those that do simple things that are never getting noticed by anyone. And yet they're receiving a great reward because they're doing it in Christ. Jesus gave that example with the, uh, 
with the example of the woman who went up and gave the offering of all that she had. And he said she gave more than all the rest of the very wealthy people that were giving because she gave all. She gave her all. When we give in obedience and we do it through the Lord Jesus Christ, in obedience to Him, then we receive a reward and we are workers together with Him. If we're doing it outside of together, if we're doing it outside of agreement, if we're doing it outside of a, being a fellow worker with Him, we may not receive a reward. 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness? You see, the context here, get connected with the Lord. Don't be connected with unbelievers. It doesn't mean don't go around unbelievers. Jesus did. But don't be yoked with them. See, yoked is hooked up, attached, connected. You can't get apart. Be yoked with Christ. If you're going to be yoked with Christ, you're going to be yoked with others that are yoked with Christ because we're, we are yoked fellow, literally. We're fellow laborers together with Him. To abide is to obey. And if we're going to obey, we must learn endurance. And this is something that Christians need to understand. Endurance is a necessary attribute of the Christian walk and certainly of discipleship. So let's look at this. There's two Greek words I'm going to look at. Translated endurance or patience or long-suffering. The first one we want to look at is macrothumia. And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. The word long-suffering, or translated patience in some translations, is the word for determination or endurance. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12. That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience do what? Inherit the promises. We're talking about an inheritance. I don't know that you get salvation in terms of eternal life by endurance. You received eternal life because of Jesus' endurance. But you receive the promises by your endurance. You receive an inheritance by your determination. It's by imitating those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now we saw earlier, we receive grace by faith. So faith is very important. We can't please God without it. By faith, we receive grace. By grace, we receive the promises. By determination, we stay in the place and we get into the place of receiving grace and receiving promises. Here's a powerful truth. In the Old Testament, the Spirit was given as a token of eternal life. In the New Testament, since Pentecost, it is eternal life. And it is a token of an eternal inheritance. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on Him for eternity everlasting life. This is a pattern in Paul's life that he said Jesus Christ was showing through him a pattern of determination, a pattern of long-suffering and endurance that others could follow. I think that's wonderful. I think we could use more of that in the body of Christ today. Those that have suffered long, manifested long-suffering, showed their determination to stick it out, 
showed their determination to manifest Christ in the world, regardless of what community they might be in, regardless of where they might be called to live and to walk for Christ. Yet they stood fast, stood firm, and showed forth by their faith long-suffering as a pattern for others to follow. What a great blessing. What a great way to see the Lord Jesus manifested in this day. Now in Colossians chapter 1, verse 10 and 11, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, full-pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Remember, He wants us to be faithful. He wants us to receive the blessing so that we can bring fruit unto God. Right here, we want to be fruitful in every good work, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience. Now, this is the word hupomone that we're going to go looking at next and long-suffering, which is macrothumia that we're looking at. So, a double whammy here. Patience and long-suffering. Patience and endurance. Endurance and determination. However you want to say it, he's, he's saying, stick with it and really stick with it. <laughs> Hang on tight and hold on tight. And you will be fruitful. You'll have fruit in every good work. What does that imply then? If we are not capable of enduring, if we're not capable of suffering long, we won't have good fruit. Unlike gifts which come from God and may be manifested through the anointing, fruit takes time to grow. It has to be planted, it has to be nurtured, and it takes time to grow. It takes endurance. It takes nurturing. It takes watching and keeping, possibly pruning. Well, let's look at Hupomone, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. We'll read through 4. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into the grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. We have to stand in grace. That's the same word where it says in Ephesians chapter 6 that after having put on the armor of God and done everything that we can do, having done all, stand. And where do we stand? In grace. We have to do something to get to the place where we're in grace and then we've got to set our feet like in cement and stand in grace. And if we'll stand in that grace, we will see tribulations come and go, but we will have the perseverance produced. If we will persevere, if we will endure, if we are determined enough to stand, regardless of the wind that may come by, regardless of the storms that may come by, if we stay planted upon the rock, we will have character. Character brings hope. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. So we'll have faith. Perseverance will actually help us grow in faith. Amen? Can we use more faith? Can we use more hope? Can we use more character? We need more perseverance. We need to be determined that we're not going to move. We're not going to budge off of the promises of God. And we're going to stand in it, not only by our determination, but we're going to stand in grace by our determination. James chapter 1, verse 3. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, 
But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. What's the purpose of the word of God? Is that the man of God may be perfected, that he may be completed. The word of God will help us to endure. The word of God will explain to us how to persevere. If we are not willing to persevere, we will never be able to stay in the spirit. Because that battle that's going on in our members will always take precedence over the spirit that's calling to us. But if we will be determined, if we will persevere, if we'll put effort into renewing our minds, putting on the mind of Christ, walking in the spirit, then our perseverance will take us into that realm of the spirit even while we're in the body of flesh. Luke chapter 8 verse 15, but that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. See, in the parable of the sower and the seed, the good ground are those that have hearts to receive the good seed and let it be nurtured. How do they bring forth fruit? With patience, with perseverance, with determination, by endurance. That's how we bring forth the good fruit. Remember in that parable, there were those that went by the wayside and those that, that uh, fell into thorns. They did not persevere. They did not endure. For whatever reason, pleasures or pressures, they did not endure till they had fruit. We want to have good ground for the good seed that's been planted in us. We have good ground if we choose to till it for the incorruptible seed that has been planted in us. By endurance, we have fruit. Fruit comes by our good works, manifested through grace. Luke chapter 21, 19. By your patience, possess your souls. By your own endurance. Whose endurance? Yours, not the Lord's. He endured until you received salvation. Now you can endure with Him as a fellow laborer in this walk. And you will then possess your soul. You will have your soul and your mind subjected to His will. Therein are the rewards which are eternal. 2 Corinthians 12, 12. Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs, wonders, and mighty deeds. You see, the apostle Paul, talking about the signs of an apostle, listed that perseverance or determination, endurance, is what got him from the battle that he was daily in into the spirit. To take him out of the law of sin and death, which he died unto, but because this body is still energized by the spirit that's been placed within it, we have to make a choice, and through endurance, perseverance, we enter into the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus and begin to walk not in the flesh, but in the spirit as sons of God. He called that a sign of an apostle. 2 Timothy 3.10 But you have carefully followed my doctrine and manner of life, purpose, faith, and long-suffering, which is the word microthumia, and love and perseverance, which is hupomone. Hebrews 10.36 For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. So is it possible to have obeyed God and then still lose out on a reward? I would say that's what it's saying. Does it say that 
after you've done the will of God, if you fall away, that you won't receive salvation. It doesn't say that, does it? It doesn't say that if you've stood for God for a while and then backslide or fall away, however people describe it, but cease to do the will of God, that you're going to lose your eternal life. It doesn't say that. It says you can lose your reward. We want to receive the promise of the inheritance that's been granted to us through Christ Jesus as a promise. Now in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured. Now we see here, let us run with endurance the race, and it's because Jesus has endured. He endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. He's saying, we have to consider the endurance of Jesus Christ so that we can endure. If we don't consider the endurance of Jesus Christ, we will not be able to run with endurance. We have an example. What must sons endure? Verse 7, For if you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not chasten? We as sons of God have to learn to endure God's chastening, His correcting, His testing us, improving us as we grow up to see if we're going to follow. God does prove us. And when we pass the test, so to speak, what are we? We are approved of God. That's what we want. We want to be approved of God. We want to be in His will and growing up in all things under the head, Jesus Christ, by looking at the endurance of Christ and being committed to our own endurance to stay faithful, to endure His chastening, we will receive a reward. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, produces endurance. But let that endurance, let that patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You see? <laughs> We've seen that before. But we need to look at it again because it's produced, because of the testing, it produces the endurance that we need to have the character to stand faithful and to manifest the love of Christ in this world. But we have to allow the patience to have its perfect work. I like the way that sounds because, in other words, be patient with your patience. It takes time for your patience to have a perfect work. But if you'll be patient with your patience, <laughs> if you'll endure with your endurance and allow the time, you will be perfected and you will be complete and you will lack nothing. You'll have, in other words, you'll have a full reward. That should be everyone's goal. Verse 25, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. It's a continuation of it, not just the beginning of it, 
but he's able to perform it through us to the end. We have to continue. We have to endure. Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How do we overcome evil with good? Through the works that we do in the soul, but they must be spiritual works manifested through this body. We will overcome evil with that good. The good is spirit. Here's a powerful truth. We overcome evil through the will in our soul, allowing our spirit to manifest through our soul into the earthly realm. 1 Corinthians 3.13 Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through the fire. Each one's work. What's the context? The fire will test each one's work. What are we talking about? If anyone's work endures, if anyone's work is burned. So work is very important. And it's very important that it be works of grace, that it be works that will that are tested by fire so that they'll stand when they're tested by fire so that we'll have a reward. So we're not spinning our wheels. I don't know about you, but if you are committed to the walk of a Christian and if you're willing to persevere and if you've put effort into and you have endured certain things, you have an investment that you don't want to lose. You have invested time and effort. The Apostle Paul said, hey, if Christ is not risen from the dead, then we are of all people most miserable. If we put a lot of effort into the Christian walk and don't have a reward, we'll be miserable. <laughs> or if we give up, we'll be miserable. We've put effort into this. Jesus put effort into our salvation, but we put effort into manifesting that salvation. Through works. But even then, he gives us a reward if we'll do that. Eternal reward. Praise the Lord. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Did you get saved by works or did you get saved by faith? He's saying, we know the answer to that. We received the Spirit of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, now, are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does that mean that they were doing works and that was wrong? What that means is they were doing works, trying to earn things, trying to get salvation. They were trying to do works that were good works in the flesh, and they weren't called upon by God to accomplish. They were religious acts and religious works. Trying to be circumcised uh, uh, in order to be righteous before God. Things like that. In other words, going back to the old law. Taking themselves out from grace to try to earn things. 
we need to persevere to put ourselves in a position of grace so that things are allotted to us, so that gifts are given to us, so an inheritance is laid up for us. Our perseverance is to get into that place and then manifest Christ through that place. The Apostle Paul said, that is in me, in my flesh dwells no good thing. We cannot be perfected in the flesh. You'll never be good enough in the flesh. You've got a spirit that's in you that's already good enough. What we need to do is submit the flesh to our soul, submit our soul to our spirit, and manifest Christ through that soul while in this body. Amen? The goal is not to convert the spirit into flesh, but to convert the soul through the spirit manifested while in our body. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. A guarantee of inheritance. You see, you have eternal life. But there is a certification or a guarantee of inheritance. A guarantee is an earnest or a pledge. It's a part given in advance as a security for the rest. We have the Holy Spirit of promise. The Spirit is eternal life for us, but it's a promise or a guarantee, a pledge of an inheritance for those that fulfill the criteria to receive. Let me give you an example. If I have a, as a parent, have a business, which I intend to hand down to, let's say, my son. And I say, son, you know, you're my son, you're, you're my only son, and I want you to have this business when I'm gone. I'm going to turn it over to you. And I'm going to train you up in it. I want you to have it. And the son says, sure, dad. You know, you're, you're dad, I'm son. It should be mine. But the son never learns. He doesn't come. He doesn't want to learn. He comes. He goofs off. And eventually he says, I don't, I don't want to do this. I don't want this business. And he goes off. Well, what am I going to do as the business owner? I'm either going to close it down or I'm going to find somebody else to inherit it. But is my son still my son? He'll always be my son, even if he chooses to turn down the inheritance. And that's the same in God's kingdom. We are His children. We have the spirit of promise. We have the incorruptible seed. And now He's saying, I have a business, a kingdom I want to give to you. But you have to learn how to rule in that kingdom. And so, I want you to come and learn of me. And as you learn, you're going to be learning what to do with that business when you get it. That inheritance when you get it. If we'll learn, if we'll submit to his training, then we will receive the inheritance which is due us because we're sons. We're always going to be sons of God, whether or not we submit to the training. But if we refuse to submit to the training, we will not receive the inheritance because we'll not be capable of receiving it. Make sense? I think that's the best way to describe it. And that's exactly the process that we're in. 
Well, you see, it's not your eternal life that's at question. It's your inheritance of the kingdom that's at question. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You were created in Christ for good works. That's the purpose. I often wondered when I was younger, why we didn't just go straight to heaven or go straight to be with the Lord once we were saved. It seemed like it would be so much easier. But he needs to train us so we can have an inheritance. He left us here for a reason. Number one reason, so we can get to know him, renew our minds, so that we can prove to him that we love him, even in situations where it's not always easy. He didn't want robots. He didn't create Adam as a robot. He created him as a, a human being with free will, able to make a choice to eat of the tree or not eat of the tree, to talk to him and get advice or not get advice. He made him with free will so that he can have relationship. He can have fellowship. And that's what he wants with us. And he wants us to grow in him. But he also left us here for an obvious reason, so we could preach the gospel to others. Because if we all left, there'd be nobody left to preach the gospel to others. And so the cycle of salvation would end eventually. There's got to be living stones being built together so that that salvation can be made available to others. So others could come into the kingdom. So we are saved and created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared that we should walk in. We each have a call that we're meant to walk out in this body. It is not only to the benefit of others, but it's to your benefit. That that which God set for you, in other words, that which he prepared and determined for you is going to be a little different than what he prepared and determined for me. The works that you're called to walk out and the trials that you're going to go through, there may be similarities, but the path is going to be a little different because he's taking you on a different path that he's determined specifically for you in order that you would receive a full inheritance. Each of us has the same goal, however, is to receive a full inheritance in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 14, 12. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. See, spiritual gifts are given to us and we should manifest and we should desire them and we should covet them. But the purpose of having them and manifesting them has got to be to edify others. If we will use our gifts to edify others, then that will be considered a good work. If we use our gifts for other reasons, there may still be good fruit from it because it's still a spirit manifested. However, it's not accounted unto us. And therefore, we are a sounding brass and a tingling cymbal when it comes to laying up treasures in heaven. They're good works when it's Christ being manifested through us. We should want to be a conduit for His blessings, not just the recipient of His blessings. A fountain, not a basin. Our desire and what we persevere for should be 
that he would manifest his life through us. That we would walk in him, even as we're in this world, but that we would have an eye towards releasing the Spirit through our lives to touch others, to manifest the love of God towards others so that He can flow through us. As we allow that, we are being changed in the process. And we are transferring where we live from the law of the sin and death to the law of the Spirit of life. 1 Corinthians 16, 15, I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted, one translation says, they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. When I was younger, that was a verse that I really intended to make part of my life, that I would be addicted to serving the saints. And I believe I'm there because I go through withdrawals. If, I, if I'm not helping somebody, I, I go through withdrawals. I need to help. I need to preach. I need to teach. I need to heal. I need to manifest Christ to somebody. I can go for a while. If I'm with the Lord, if I'm seeking the Lord, there's times where you have to go and do other things. Pray and fast. I get with the Lord. Study to show yourself approved. There's things we have to do, but, but I can honestly say that I go through withdrawals if I can't get around the saints. I want to minister to the saints. I have to minister to the saints, just like I have to eat, just like I have to breathe, just like I have to drink. That's good. Because if I'm ministering to the saints and I'm not doing it well, if I'm doing it out of my soul, and therefore, let's say, uh, they're not receiving the ministry because it's not from God. So then maybe they begin to reject me. I still have withdrawals. I need to change because I need to get to a place where I can minister to the saints because I need it. I, it's part of me. I will shrivel up if I can't minister to the saints. And if I'm not ministering Christ, they're not going to want to be ministered to by me. So therefore, I have a check in my system which has been put there through years of endurance in that I have addicted myself to service and therefore I've put myself in a position where I have to serve through Christ. So it's a check on my own life that through humility forces me to be obedient, forces me to uh, repent when I sin, forces me to ask forgiveness when I offend, forces me because I need to minister. <laughs> and nobody wants to get ministered to by somebody who's not walking in Christ. Amen? <laughs> so I think that that is a, from my life anyway, I recommend to people that they addict themselves. Addict themselves to the Lord. Addict yourself to Him manifesting Himself through you. Why go for the addictions of the world? That the Spirit, let's say, a bottle of spirits instead of the Spirit of God. Why not be filled with the Spirit to overflowing? Don't be drunk wherein is excess, but be filled and be being filled with the Spirit. Because you can get addicted to the spirits that the world gives, but you can also be addicted to the Spirit of God flowing in and flowing from you. Amen? Amen. Amen.